Good morning. Every once in a while I get to look at some of those old sermons I used to preach when I was just a kid. I'm saying, I owe those people an apology. (laughs) But most of them are gone to heaven now, so I guess they'll just have to wait for that. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, What what, what was the t-shirt about words? What did it say? Words are hard. Words are hard. And you proved it. Okay. And today we get, get to talk a little about words. Uh, I am delighted to be here. I, I'm going to speak to you from James chapter 3, and I notice that that's an assignment for this week for you to read. So I'm wanting you to know that you've already completed your assignment when we get done with this message, okay? So you could take the week off. I would suggest you read it again and again. When Pastor Tamar suggested that she's in a series in James and said, if I wanted to pursue the the series and pursue the the chapter chapter 3 of James, I could. I had something else in my mind that I thought I might actually bring to you this morning, but as I got to reading that again and again, the Lord began to speak to me about it. And what I have discovered is that I am here to declare to you today that we have a problem. We have not just a little problem, not just a small thing. We have a huge problem. We have a deeply serious problem. The problem we are talking about actually has destroyed people's relationships with others. It has destroyed marriages. It has destroyed businesses. It has destroyed churches. I'm talking to you about the tongue. Let's look together at James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. We're gonna, we're gonna read the whole thing. The whole chapter. I'm reading today from the New Living Translation. And yours might be a little different than that, but I kinda like the refreshing slant that it gives us sometimes in its fresh translation. So let's look at that. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every way. We can make a large horse Go wherever we want by means of small a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses it to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil full of deadly poison. 
Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. James wants us to be sure we understand the issue. The problem is a problem for every believer. And so he begins by using two images, and, and they're pretty, pretty big images. I mean, the first is the picture of an out-of-control, rapidly spreading fire. It's a terrifying kind of image. If you've ever been in that kind of situation, you know that it is. And James, I think, is using that metaphor to stir us up a little bit, to sober us. He suggests it's a fire that spreads quickly and consumingly in all, in an attempt to help us see, he's wanting us to help us see the importance of this problem, of acting quickly with regard to the tongue. And the second metaphor that he uses to highlight our problem with the tongue is one of wild animals. The idea that the tongue is even worse than wild animals is what he's saying. Because wild animals on occasion can be tamed and they can be controlled. Then he plainly states for the record, but no one can tame the tongue. The clear implication is that no human being is able to completely control his or her tongue in their own human strength. As a way of offering some explanation for why this is true, he adds, it, the tongue, is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. The University Press commenting on this particular passage says, The tongue is a restless evil, untamable, because it is inherently unstable, and therefore, even when brought under some control, always prone to further evil. This requires that we be continually watchful over our tongues, they say, never thinking we have successfully altered the nature of our speech. 
Our tongue can get us in lots of trouble if we're not careful, can't it? And sometimes, sometimes it's humorous. It's kind of funny. I read not long ago about a, a guy who, a young man, he was starting his first day on his job, new job, brand new job in a grocery store. He was going to be one of the produce clerks. He was going to work in the produce department and he arrives for his first day on the job. Pretty soon there's an older lady that comes to him and says that she wants to buy half a head of lettuce. Just half a head of lettuce. Now he tries to talk her out of that and tell her that that's not the way it's done, but she insists. And finally he says, I'm going to have to go back and talk to the manager about that. So he heads to the back of the store to talk to the manager, not realizing that the woman is right there behind him, walking, following him into the the, uh, back of the store. When he gets there, he sees the manager and he says, there's this old crabby woman who wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. And then he notices the panicked look on his manager's face and realizes there's something wrong. So he turns around real quickly and he said, and this dear lady wants to buy the other half. (laughs) The manager thought he was pretty pretty quick on his feet and wanted to commend him for that. And so he, he, he strikes up a conversation a little later with him. And he says, by the way, son, where are you from? And he said, well, I'm from Toronto, Canada the home of beautiful hockey players and ugly women. There's this look of frustration on the manager's face, and he says with a bit of irritation, uh, my wife is from Toronto. To which the young grocer quickly replies, oh, and what team did she play for? And that's humorous. You know, he was pretty good with his tongue at that point. I, uh, I also read a few years ago the Columbus Dispatch published a list of questions that lawyers had asked people on the witness stand. And it's a whole long list, but I'm not going to give you the whole list. But there's some of them that I thought were, were kind of funny. And, and it's, it's a result of not being careful about what you say. And these are reported to be actual questions taken from official court records. First one is this. The lawyer says... Was that the same nose you broke as a child? Think about it a moment. The lawyer is now asking a a doctor. Now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, in most cases, he just passes away quickly and doesn't know anything about it till the next morning? A lawyer uh, speaking to the witness says, well, what happened then? And the witness said, well, he told me. He says, I have to kill you because you can identify me. The lawyer said, did he kill you? Oh, well. The fourth one is this one. Uh, Was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? And the final one, since you don't think he's very funny anyway. But uh, he says... um, The lawyer says, I show you exhibit three and ask you if you recognize that picture. The witness says, oh yeah, that's me. And were you present when that picture was taken? (laughs) So sometimes our tongue can be funny, accidentally or otherwise. But other times our tongues can hurt us and they can hurt others. 
on the tip of your tongue could be words of blessing, encouragement, affirmation, and love. However, the tip of your tongue could also be poised to offer hurtful, discouraging, mean, and hateful words that tear down rather than build up. The psalmist prayed, O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Controlling our tongue is a battle that all of us face. It is a formidable task. In fact, James makes the argument that for all intents and purposes, it is actually impossible for us to control it. The tongue. He says very clearly, no one can tame the tongue. But God evidently intends us to do something about it. Or he wouldn't be talking about it. And the facts he gives us here can help us, I think. So I want to just take a look at chapter 3, James, at these steps to controlling what is on the tip of your tongue. First one is this. Never underestimate the tongue's power. He says the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. Corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. James is telling us in verses 3 and 4 that... Something small can steer something large. You know, compared to the size of a horse, a bit is relatively small. Likewise, compared to the size of a ship, the rudder that guides it is relatively small. But both steer and direct much larger, though they're small, they steer and direct much larger things out there than they you'd think they would. And in a similar way, Our tongues can impact our own lives and can impact the lives of others, though they're small. They can encourage or they can discourage. They can heal or they can hurt. They can forgive or they can condemn. They can offer hope or they can signal despair. You know, I don't know who it was that said, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But I figure they must have been deaf. In fact, the real truth is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can really hurt me. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, A slip of the foot you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. That's because words have influence. How many times have you heard stories of a fat comment or a joke driving some young person toward anorexia in an attempt to control their weight. We often see portrayed uh, on television programs and various genres, or maybe we've experienced it personally, the impact of positive words on a person, a person with self-doubts. Words like, I believe in you, or you can do this. Or even, I'm proud of you. Those words are powerfully influential in a positive way. 
words influence. I, I thought of it this week as I was preparing this message. I think the first time I considered the possibility of being a minister of the gospel was when my fourth grade teacher, fourth grade teacher, asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I don't even remember my answer. I probably said something like, well, I want to be in the Air Force. I was in fourth grade, by the way. I mean, you know. And she said, oh, I I thought maybe you might be a minister someday. I hadn't thought of that. But I never forgot what she said. And I suspect it influenced me as I was considering what the Lord was calling me to do. So I'm saying to you today... Never underestimate the power of words in your life and the lives of others. Second thing, never leave your tongue unguarded. You know, it says people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. Our tongue must be guarded at all times. Otherwise... We will say things we shouldn't because the tendency of our tongue is to run wild. We must be on constant watch. The Proverbs writer counseled us saying, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. In verse 7, James is telling us we must treat the tongue like a wild animal that is incapable of being domesticated. That's why when you go to the zoo to see the wild animals, they're in cages or they're behind fenced areas because they have to be controlled somehow. Now, if we're not careful, we'll get the idea then that we too could erect safeguards in our our life that would actually control the tongue and help limit the possibility of hurtful and destructive behavior. From our tongue, but the fact is, we will find that no matter how hard we try or how often we put up those barriers, our human efforts will be insufficient. Our tongue will get away from us. In reality, when all is said and done, we need God to guard our tongue. We need God to tame what we cannot. You need to ask God to help you guard what you say. David prayed, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The Lord has to give you the power to control your tongue. Third thing, never neglect your heart. It's verses 10 to 12 there. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, brothers and sisters, that should not be. James is pointing out that what rolls off the tip of our tongue usually reveals what is in our hearts. Your words reflect your heart. In fact, Jesus said it in a similar way. Matthew 1234, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Those are Jesus' words. So the condition of our heart determines what comes out of our mouth. There's a story of a minister who was 
working in his garden, he was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine. As he was pounding away at the nails and so on, there, he noticed that there was a little boy from the neighborhood who was watching him. And the young fellow didn't say a word, so the preacher just kept on working, thinking that the boy would finally leave. But he didn't. Well, pastor kind of thought maybe the guy was sticking around because he admired the way he worked and thought he might, you know, like what he was seeing. And so finally the pastor said, well, son, are you trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? No, said the boy. I'm just trying to find out what happens, what comes out of a preacher's mouth when he hammers his thumb instead of the nail. I want to know what comes out of his mouth when he hits his thumb with that hammer. Well, if what comes out of our mouth isn't what it should be, then we better check the condition of our heart. Perhaps we need to pray a prayer like David prayed in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. And I really like the Living Bible translation of that verse. It says, Create in me a new, clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. So when our hearts are right with God, then our tongues will be more consistently speaking those things that encourage and build up and heal. And when we do this, we will be better able to make a difference in our own lives and in the lives of those who are around us with the impact of our words. Fourth, in controlling our tongue, never assume you can do it alone. I've already said that, but I want to emphasize that. Never assume you can do it alone. You're going to need God's help. Why? Well, I was digging into this stuff a little bit, like I'm prone to do with passages of Scripture. And I wanted to do a little word study here. First, notice that the Greek word translated tame, it says tame in verse 7 and verse 8, is used only one other time in the New Testament. You know when that is? Of course you don't. If you did, then I would have nothing to say. <laughs> in Mark 5, 4, it is used to describe the inability of anyone to subdue or control the demon-possessed man. So James means more than just domesticate when he says tame. He's implying the presence of a major battle, a conflict so intense as to make it impossible for us to overpower or control the use of our tongue like they could not control that demon-possessed man. What I'm saying is, we're going to need help. In fact, I want you to say that with me. Ready? We're going to need help. We're going to need help. One more time. We're going to need help. The second thing I want you to note here is the word restless in verse 8. It's the same root word that Paul uses a couple of times in his letters to the Corinthian churches. 
Each time it's used, it implies more than just unruly, more than just difficult, but rather, as in one translation, it puts it, the tongue is irreducible to order. I like that. In other words, no matter what you do, you cannot reduce this tongue, this this beast inside of you, you cannot actually reduce it to a point of order. It's irreducible, or it is characterized by persistent instability. What I'm saying is, what? We're going to need. Say it again. Third, James uses the phrase deadly poison. Did you hear that? Deadly poison to describe the tongue in verse 8. Here is the only place where the specific adjective occurs in the New Testament. However, it is not the only place where God uses the image of poison to describe the tongue's evil. For instance, in Psalm 58, 4, describing wicked people, God says... They spit venom like deadly snakes. They are like cobras that refuse to listen. Or in Psalm 140, verse 3, we read, Their tongues sting like a snake. The venom of a viper drips from their lips. In his letter to the Roman church, Paul references that Psalm 140, rendering it this way. Their talk is foul. Like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Now what I'm saying here is that James seems desperate. He's desperately wanting us to know we are going to need help. Right? Say it again. We are going to need help. Help. Because we can't do it alone. The tongue will get the better of us every time. Five, never stop seeking God's wisdom. And that's what he's referring to in verses 13 to 18. 13, if you are wise and understand God's ways. Oh, what kind of wisdom are we talking about? Well, he kind of describes it in these verses. He says it's pure, it's peace-loving, it's gentle, it's considerate of others, it's merciful, it's full of good deeds, it's impartial, it's sincere. Let me tell you, these are not qualities native to worldly wisdom. His language in these verses implied that there's something beyond worldly wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes from God. And therefore, what he's talking about here is a spiritual problem. Human wisdom is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. Verse 15. The Greek noun is used, uh, the Greek noun in verse 16, translated disorder, is the same word used as an adjective in James 1.8. In James 1.8, James tries to describe the unstable person who is exercising a kind of selfish faith. And he says that that person is unstable. Now in chapter 3, verse 16, disorder, which is the same word, is the result when God's wisdom is is missing. So instability in verse 8, disorder in verse 16... 
are the result of having divided loyalties between the world's ways and God's ways. The implication is that this instability, this disorder that results from the improper use of our tongue is a spiritual problem. In fact, when he uses words like set on fire by hell and demonic, we ought to get the idea there is a spiritual battle going on here and that this battle has everything to do with our relationship to God. If we possess God's wisdom, we will have the qualities we need to say the right thing more often and greatly limit words that offend or disrespect others. But if we lack God's wisdom, we will not be able to control our tongue. There will be bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition which will reflect in our conversations and in the words that we use. Why? Let's look at verse 13. God's wisdom will clarify God's kingdom culture. He says, understand God's ways. Do you know the culture of the kingdom is different than the culture of our world? You know that, right? Indeed, the wisdom of God is often counter-cultural in our day. Often, God says his ways are exactly opposite of human thinking. You know, for instance, God says the key to leadership is learning to serve. He says the way to be first is to be what? Last. He says, love your enemies. He says, do good to them that despitefully use you. Well, that's not what human wisdom would do. God says, turn the other cheek. And on and on we could go. God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And his wisdom will help us remember that. Having God's wisdom comes with a commitment to God's ways. It carries with it an undivided loyalty to Christ and to his kingdom. And that is highly important when it comes to controlling what comes out of our mouth. We begin to understand God's culture. And then God's wisdom will change our priorities. It talks about doing good works. It will change what we see as important. It will change how we spend our time. God's wisdom will help us focus on what is unseen rather than what is seen. Meeting the needs of others will become at least as important as meeting our own needs. Serving in the church or community will take a higher value, a higher priority than having time to do whatever I want to do. Realizing what is really important in our spiritual journey will help us leave unsaid some things that would only lead to arguments and division. It may also help us discern the right thing, the right timing for speaking the truth in love when that is called for in a given situation. God's wisdom will change our priorities. God's wisdom will also correct our attitudes. I mean, with humility, he says, we will begin to look at others with compassion and a desire to help 
rather than seeing others as competition or hindrances to our own personal agenda. Being right will not be as important as saving a relationship. We may begin to realize that at times our temporary inconveniences can become redemptive for someone else. We will be more and more appreciative of God's grace in our lives rather than thinking we can do it ourselves. God's wisdom will help us be humble enough to seek forgiveness from others when we unintentionally say things that hurt or harm them. It will also make it easier for us to ask a close friend to hold us accountable for our words. When we say things that we didn't even realize we said, we have a friend who helps us understand that. God's wisdom. Finally, God's wisdom will challenge our thinking. In verse 14, he talks about selfish ambition in your heart. Well, it is important to think the right thoughts. And God's wisdom will help us do that. Verse 14 is focused on motivations lurking in the heart, like selfish ambition and jealousy. With an attempt to cover up our true motivation with boasting and lying. But God's wisdom will challenge us thinking and help us to bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. As noted earlier, Jesus warns that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And Paul admonishes us to think on things that are true and honorable in the Philippian letter. Why? Because what is on the tip of our tongue is usually closely related to the deep thoughts that are lurking in our mind and in our heart. Knowing then that I need God's wisdom, knowing all that we've said up to now, how do I get this wisdom? It's interesting to me that James already told us what to do in the first chapter before he actually brings up the big problem in chapter 3. He actually begins his letter with the solution to the majorly important problem. His counsel to us is this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Ask the Lord for his wisdom. Seek a better relationship with him. As God gives us the wisdom that he can give, there will be peace. And in this peace, there will be an obvious absence of instability and inconsistency and restlessness and confusion and evil. Those things won't be part of God's wisdom. Rather, with his peace, there will be mercy There will be fruitful lives, and they calls it seeds of peace. Seeds of peace that are planted in our lives and in the lives of others 
which will allow us to eventually reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, it can also be translated a harvest of good things. God's things. Righteous things. So this morning, I'd like you to bow your head and have a conversation with God. In a moment of honest self-reflection. Ask yourself what's really on the tip of your tongue. Is your tongue out of control more often than you wish? And certainly more often than is pleasing to the Lord? If so, what is God asking you to do about it right now? It occurs to me that some today during this message may have thought of words you've spoken that did hurt someone and and that's driven a bit of a wedge and you haven't apologized you know you need to and maybe God's talking to you about that right now I don't know what God may be saying to you I don't know how he may be speaking to you I urge you to respond to him as he gives you the grace to do it right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. That you will help us, Lord, to See where we need to improve. You'll help us to hear your still small voice speaking to us about whatever the issue may be for us today. And I pray for grace to respond. Maybe it's an apology that needs to be made. Maybe we just need to go deeper in our relationship with you. Maybe we need to ask you for more wisdom more of your wisdom whatever it may be help us Lord to do it I pray in Jesus name Amen why don't you stand with me we're going to sing a couple of songs here during that time obviously if God is speaking to you I urge you to do business with him, either right there in your seat or here at the altar or back at the cross, wherever you feel comfortable doing it. But do honest business with God today about that tongue problem, if God is speaking to you about it.